Welcome. I'm Leslie Cannon. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Hello, my name is Leslie Cannon, and welcome to this podcast of the Compliance Divas. Today, we're going to be talking about faulty exam gloves and other PPE. You know, it's been a long time that we've been dealing with this pandemic, and there's been so many changes that have occurred over the last couple of years. The demand and the prices for exam gloves, disposable gowns, and N95 respirators skyrocketed, and dental suppliers experienced what was called supply chain issues, which sent dental professionals scrambling to find enough PPE and many times searching for PPE online. Unfortunately, we had unscrupulous companies that sold substandard PPE, even dirty used bloodstained gloves. So today, the divas are going to discuss faulty PPE and how to avoid being a victim of PPE scams. It was uh, an investigation that was actually uh, posted by CNN News about tens of millions of counterfeit and second-rate nitrile gloves that reached the United States that actually caught my attention. And uh, despite the potential risk to frontline healthcare workers, the authorities in the United States really struggled to get a handle on illicit trade, partly because import regulations for protective glove or medical equipment were temporarily suspended during the height of the pandemic. There was a company that was called uh, Air Queen who spent $2.7 million on nitrile gloves from another company called Patty the Room. When the shipments actually arrived, many of the gloves were bad or poor quality, soiled, and even secondhand. And uh, one of the latest shipments that had been received in 2021 was actually seized by the federal authorities who were conducting uh, investigations at that time for Patty the Room. So the flow of substandard gloves into the United States made it easier, uh, was actually made easier again by FDA's temporarily suspending import regulations during the height of the pandemic. FDA actually told CNN News that they were uh, only allowed to import under relaxed rules just as long as the gloves conformed to the consensus standards and labeling cited in the guidance where gloves do not create an undue risk. Well, as we know, that uh, ended up filtering down to dental professionals. I heard that many dental professionals received gloves that were substandard. So what I'd like to do is ask Mary to help us a little uh, understand a little bit about the glove shortage. If you could give us an idea about manufacturing and whatever happened with the supply chain issue and any ideas on how long you think that might last. Mary? Absolutely. Thank you, Leslie. As most people may know or may have heard, most of the medical gloves that we use are manufactured in Asia, in Malaysia in particular. And so that alone creates uh, a supply chain issue because, of course, they have to be shipped here um, and to other countries, and that can take some time. And we all know there have been lots of issues with that. Um, There are a few manufacturers of gloves in the U.S., but it it's not widespread. So we're pretty reliant on these other countries 
for the the glove manufacturing and in the the shortage that we saw especially at the beginning of the pandemic where not only the healthcare workers were wearing gloves but other um, private individuals were wearing gloves too. You would see sometimes people in the grocery store with a mask and gloves on. That just created more and more and more shortage. And as we looked at, um, as Leslie said, import issues and, and those types of things, it created a situation where our dental supply companies and medical supply companies actually had to ration some of the quantities of gloves that were were shipped to practices. So some companies who were very sort of opportunistic decided that they would jump into the medical glove manufacturing. They may have been a factory that manufactured gloves for industrial settings. So the manufacturing process is similar, but it has to be for medical supplies has to be done under clean conditions. So it reduces the amount of contaminants or potential contaminants on those gloves um, for use in healthcare. So that was, that's been part of the problem in some of these gloves that come to the U S that are substandard. They don't hold up, um, for long periods of time and they're manufactured under, um, not the optimum conditions. So when dental practices and other, um, healthcare providers were really, and, and still are challenges, challenged in some cases are are rationed by their dental supply company. Um, they're looking to other sources for uh, um, securing or procuring gloves for their practice. And they don't know what they're going to be getting if they buy them online from an online supplier they're not familiar with. They have no idea what they're getting. Whereas the trusted sources, our dental supply companies, are vetting those manufacturers and they're making sure that they meet the FDA standards um, for appropriate PPE for use in healthcare. So how long this is going to last is a, is a good question. Um, it seemed to ease up a little bit over this past summer, but now with the variants ramping up again, we may see shortages again. We just don't know. I would guess that we're going to be restricted um, until the pandemic is perhaps over. Um, and many folks are, are, of course, dealing with um, the cost of gloves, which has increased exponentially in, in some cases, which then invites the temptation to reuse gloves, which we should not do. That's very hazardous to us as healthcare workers. So the biggest question is, how do you know um, if your gloves that you're purchasing are not um, fraudulent or counterfeit or they're manufactured according to good manufacturing processes. And there's two resources that you can go to. One is the Food and Drug Administration, and we will provide the link in the resources section on the Compliance Divas website. And the other is NIOSH, which is part of the CDC uh, that lists um, different types of devices, in particular respirators, which we'll talk about in, in a little bit, 
um, that may be counterfeit. So you can rely on those. You also can rely on your trusted source that you purchase your supplies from to make sure for you, if I buy these gloves from you, you know, Henry Schein Dental, for example, um, can I be assured that these are appropriately manufactured gloves for use in healthcare? Mary, you bring up some very good points. And I, you didn't even think of the fact that we have people that really have no business wearing medical exam gloves, wearing them early on in the pandemic. And I remember seeing in the supermarket, there'd be in the parking lot, there'd be gloves on, on just thrown on the ground and people would wear them to, to buy groceries. And, and the funny thing about that is that people would wear their gloves and then touch all sorts of things. And then, you know, touch their food and touch their money and touch their cell phone and touch their face. And so uh, most individuals who are not in the medical or dental professional don't understand the concepts of cross-contamination when you're wearing gloves. So that did, I believe, uh, have a lot to do with our, our shortage was you know, that the people that didn't need to wear gloves were wearing them. And then I, I understand uh, why we're experiencing a bit of rationing from some of our dental dealers. There's also on the other side of the, the coin is a hoarding, you know, getting supplies, thinking that you're not going to have enough. And then uh, you know, it's up to the, the dental uh, distributors to make sure that they're fairly providing these products for well, medical devices, really, to all of their customers so that we can all provide safe dental care. Hey, Linda, can you explain to us a little bit about the capacity, meaning crisis, contingency, uh, or the conventional capacity when it comes to PPE? Sure, Leslie, be happy to. As you were just mentioning a few minutes ago, during the height of the crisis, we, we had such an extreme shortage of PPE. You know, the manufacturers of our PPE products were experiencing the same problems as our dental practices were. They had to go through the closures. They had employees who contracted COVID. They had to figure out how to do social distancing in a manufacturing plant. And they had supply shortages of their raw materials. So this is, it was one long cascade across the globe as we know. So we all became familiar with some strategies that the CDC uh, informed us about. And that was how we could you know, kind of extend the lifetime of our PPE, make it last longer than it should have. And, and that was called optimizing our PPE. And there were three categories. There's conventional, contingency and crisis. And I think of conventional as BC, and that is the before COVID days. Those were the days when we could order on demand. Uh, you know, we didn't think about how much we had on stock because we knew we could order every, any day, any time. And if we went to pay the extra shipping, we could have it there probably the next day. And now we're lucky if we get it the next couple of weeks, you know, and we don't know how many boxes we'll be able to, to obtain. So hopefully one day we'll make it back in that direction. Uh, but let's jump right over to the crisis stage. That's the third stage. And, and that's exactly where we went last year. As you and Mary were discussing, there were so many other businesses and individuals across the globe wearing PPE that never wore gloves before. So we had this extreme shortage. And if you're like me, when I watched the evening news to stay abreast of what was happening, I would see interviews with healthcare workers in hospitals, particularly nurses, holding up a brown bag or showing their mask, their respirator mask, and how they had to put in a brown bag and wear it all week long. And I didn't grasp that concept at first. That was so foreign to how our lives had been before COVID. So what we found was during this crisis capacity, that's what it was, 
we, uh, the PCDC allowed us to extend the use, meaning that we could wear our PPE for more than one patient. Um, never gloves, gloves were not approved for that, but certainly the masks were approved and gowns, disposable gowns. So contingency is the middle level, and that is where the supplies have leveled out a little bit. They're, but they're, they're not ideal, but it's improved. And I and we're in that stage right now. You know, there's also limits to what everybody can buy, but it seems to be pretty consistent that you're able to get what you need on a on a weekly or biweekly basis, depending on what how you order. You may not get the color of gloves and the brand of gloves or the color masks that you want, but you're able to have some supplies. And I'm finding that the offices that we work with are able to just continue buying whatever that amount is that they're allotted every week. And even if they don't use it all, there's they have, they have a little bit of supply for a little bit of breathing room. Um, we're not talking about hoarding, but we're just talking about a little bit of a buffer, you know, so that they can't get something for one week or two weeks that they don't feel like they're in a crisis. And our listeners may recall, Leslie, that the Food and Drug Administration um, stepped up to the plate and they granted what was called an emergency use authorization to use what's called non-NIOSH approved disposable respirators and decontamination systems. And, not, and NIOSH refers to, as Mary said, the, it's under the CDC, it stands for the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And that is the agency that tests N95 respirators to be sure that they meet the criteria for safety that they're supposed to, meaning that they filter 95% particulates and all the other factors of a, of a N95 respirator mask. So all types of masks, disposable masks are made and approved for single use. And so what happens here is that when we're having to use PPE for more than one time, especially masks and of course, never gloves, and just even as Mary was mentioning, it's hazardous to the healthcare worker. You know, if we're wearing, trying to wear gloves for more times than we should with one patient even, um, there are microscopic pores in, uh, in those gloves and it can just become, um, you know, conduit for, for contamination to ourselves, to our personal, to our hands and whatnot. And then second, reusing PPE, that's, that's all meant for single use, approved for single use, is actually practicing below the standard of care, Leslie. And that's, that's an area that I think offices need to really be mindful of because now that we are back moving towards this, you know, uh, contingency and then hopefully back to con, uh, conventional, back in July, July 6th, the Food and Drug Administration uh, ceased their emergency use authorization. So we should not be optimizing our PPE any longer. And so I think a lot of what each practice will do will depend on their supply chain. If they um, are able to go back and they should be using one mask per patient and changing that gown more frequently, then they need to do that and, and try to just incorporate those costs into their fees and other ways um, to manage that with their budget. So hopefully those are some things that can be of help to our listeners, Leslie. Linda, thank you so much for that. And just a quick comment, what I noticed in as I'm returning to dental offices and conducting training while they're seeing patients and I see dental team members wearing the same mask uh, all day long. And I asked one of the dental assistants, why aren't you changing your mask between patients? And he said, I do not want any of the patients to see me without a mask on. And he was sort of stuck in that same mode of crisis capacity, and then also wanted to demonstrate that uh, he was going to be protecting others throughout the day, whether he was uh, working with the patient or whether he was going from room to room cleaning. Linda? And sometimes, Leslie, they, they feel like the mask is protect, or the shield is protecting them. So it kind of gives them um, 
I'm going to say permission to wear it more than once because they feel like it's shielded or they're wearing double mask over it, which is not really the case because we know once you're breathing into a mask, whether the, the front of it has gotten uh, aerosol contamination directly or indirectly, uh, the mask is compromised. And Mary. Another thing that I have observed and people have shared with me is that they still want to be reusing, if they are wearing N95 respirators, they're still wanting to reuse them because of the increased cost and they don't know that that EUA has been rescinded. And so they've done what they have done in the past is put a face mask on top of the respirator to protect it. And the CDC stated a long time ago that that is not an appropriate practice because it actually could interfere with the seal of the respirator. Plus it, doing that makes it even harder to breathe. You know, when people complain about, well, I can't breathe when I wear an N95. Well, if you've got a level three mask over the top of it, it will make it much more difficult to breathe. So that's not an appropriate use of a respirator or a rationale for reusing respiratory protection. Very good point, Mary. Hey, while you're on uh, the topic of respirators, how do we know if an N95 is a fraudulent N95? Where do we go to find that information? Oh, great question, Leslie. You go directly to um, NIOSH, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health through the CDC. Again, we have the link um, for that resource on the Compliance Divas podcast website. Um, and there is a list of fraudulent um, N95 respirators, and you can look up the manufacturer and the brand or the model of the respirator that, that you have purchased or you want to purchase. And also the FDA maintains a list of counterfeit devices as well. They were very active in listing the um, KN95 counterfeits that were imported into the country as well. So the FDA and the CDC um, NIOSH division are the two resources that you go to to find out if they're listed there or not. That is great. Well, let's take a moment here to just reflect on what we've seen as far as uh, on television. Uh, I know, for example, for myself, I remember seeing in the height of the pandemic in Italy, where they were showing the surge in the hospital rooms, and I saw the hospital workers actually washing their gloves with uh, alcohol hand sanitizer between patients. And I thought to myself, they, they can't really be doing that. I mean, we wouldn't do that here. But we, we know, and I think it's common knowledge that, uh, you know, gloves are single use disposable items, whether they're in short supply or not, we have to change them between patients. There's just no two ways that around that. We also know that the use of alcohol hand sanitizer can actually compromise the integrity of the glove. So the gloves are to protect us, the wearer. Why would we do something that would compromise that uh, protection for us? Linda, did you have something you wanted to add to what you've seen? Oh, yes, Leslie. Just listening to you talk about, um, you know, reusing gloves and whatnot reminds me of, and I think all the divas did this, you know, we helped our clients to realize that there are ways you can conserve on the gloves and not compromise the standard of care by reusing the same pair on different patients or more than the length of time you should with one patient. And that was to be sure they were using the heavy utility gloves. You know, OSHA requires that when you're working with contaminated sharps. So the minute you come back from dismissing your patient, you need to don those utility gloves and 
and work through that whole process of transporting instruments and preparing them in sterilization and cleaning your operatory. And I was reminding clients that every time you used a pair of exam gloves for something non-patient care related, that could possibly be one patient in the future you don't get to see. So I was helping them to think about the importance of getting back to one, being compliant with utility gloves and two, helping to conserve on exam gloves. That is like a one-two punch. We've got the compliance and protecting our hands with utility gloves, which a lot of folks did not want to wear. And now we also see how they can help us lighten the impact of the shortage on gloves. Olivia, you wanted to add something. Yeah, I, I mentioned this in a previous podcast that I worked with a dental office that was actually uh, had alleged violations where they were taking their gloves off when they had to go treat another patient. So for example, if the dentist had to do a hygiene check, doctor taking off the gloves, laying them on the countertop, going to see the next patient, then coming back, doctor and assistant putting back on the gloves they had on before. And so clearly this was a violation. And so uh, part of that process in working through this violation was making sure it was spelled out in writing that once the gloves were removed, they had to be discarded, that it's part of their policies, that we provided training on it, the topic was listed, and all that documentation had to be provided with OSHA so that they didn't take any further action. So I think this is such a relevant topic, Leslie, in making sure that dental practices don't fall out of compliance. That's a great point, Olivia. And, you know, just for a fun exercise, and I'm all about making uh, infection control and OSHA training fun. Um, it would be an enjoyable exercise to have people don gloves, remove them, and then have a contest to see how quickly they can put them back on again. Uh, you know, it's almost like trying to put on gloves when your hands are wet. It's just like you only do that once and then you don't make that mistake again because it is difficult, time consuming. And of course, uh, we want to make sure that uh, we're not contaminating our hands. Used gloves easily can contaminate our skin as we're redonning them. Mary. I think we briefly mentioned um, the revocation of the emergency use authorization for the KN95 respirators. And I know that there are still a lot of practices that got lots of them. There was the market was flooded and we were in that crisis um, issue with supplies. And so lots of people bought boxes and boxes of KN95s. And the FDA has said that they are not appropriate for use for healthcare procedures. So what do you do with all the KN95s? Well, they could be used as source control. So wearing them in the non-treatment areas of the practice could happen. Um, you could give them to your patients because they certainly should be wearing a mask um, when they come in and when they leave your facility, but they cannot be used in the treatment rooms at all. They're not authorized for use. So I, I understand that people have made an investment in them, but again, um, there is a certain amount of liability that goes along with using products or devices that are not approved for use in healthcare. And that also falls in line with OSHA, uh, at least here in California, OSHA has never recognized KN95s as respiratory protection. 
I like using a KN95 when I go out in public and as we're going through and experiencing this Omicron surge and we're seeing uh, more uh, transmissibility, more infectiousness, uh, I'm being extra careful when I have to be in public settings or when I have to travel. So uh, I'm grateful for any KN95s that I can get my hands on, but I don't use them in an occupational manner. I use them, as you said, like source control and then, of course, protection for myself. Exactly. And, and the um, CDC and, and Dr. Fauci over this past weekend have said that we everyone needs to sort of up their game on face masks right now during this um, Omicron surge. That is absolutely what I am hearing as well. And I hope this doesn't create another uh, shortage for healthcare providers. I know that uh, in our first go round in 2020, we did see the uh, shortage, but I understand today we have uh, more of the US manufacturers uh, on our soil uh, actually producing these N95s as opposed to uh, relying on other countries to get them to us. So we have them here, we're getting them quicker. Their uh, priority has been switched from construction grade N95s to medical grade N95s. So I don't think we're going to be seeing a shortage. Again, it may not be the price we want to pay for N95s, but uh, we will be able to get them. Well, I just had a couple more points that I wanted to touch on before our listeners, just to be uh, careful to, uh, when you are purchasing these products online or not going to a dealer, there's a few points to be aware of. Your dental dealer is going to provide you with inf- with uh, medical devices and with supplies that their reputation relies on. So if you were to receive faulty gloves or faulty PPE, your dental dealer would most certainly make it right with you. If you purchase products online, you may not be getting, number one, an FDA cleared or or approved type of product, and you may get something that is literally um, a sham. I had one client who purchased N95s at the height of the shortage in 2020, and when they opened the box at the practice, those N95s weren't really N95s and they literally fell apart in their hands. So we wanna be most aware of uh, some of the practices of people trying to just scam us as healthcare providers. We don't wanna panic. We wanna trust our our, uh, dental dealers and we wanna make sure that we make wise purchases. With that, I believe we have covered faulty PPE uh, and have gone through a little bit of warning. It's really buyer beware. And and, uh, again, uh, make sure that you are not running in panic mode when it comes to PPE. This brings us to a close of another podcast from the Compliance Divas, where we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory compliance environment to keep you on course. And of We always encourage our listeners to submit questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. The resources that we mentioned during this podcast today will be on the Compliance Divas website. And we encourage you to subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast. Again, just go to www.thecompliancedivas.com. And with that, I bring this podcast to a close.